In the shadow of the most powerful city in the world, the Capital Golf Gang is on the air with instructor John Ronis from the Ronis Academy at River Creek, executive director of the Middle Atlantic PGA, John Gould, and former University of Maryland golfer, Ron Thomas. And now your host from Afternoon Drive on the Team 980 Radio in Washington, D.C., Steve Zabin. I almost can't believe they let us in this club. We are looking live at the President's Room at the mighty and iconic Congressional Country Club in Maryland, and we are live, plausibly live, I should say, for the Capital Golf Gang for a talk about redesigning golf courses. This is going to be fun and exciting. Andrew Green is with us, the president of A.H. Green Design and the principal uh, designer for this reinvention modernization restoration transformation what are we calling what congressional country club has undergone under your keen eye and design over the last what 12 months is yeah. it a restoration yeah i don't think it's 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 really something different right it's yeah. uh i think transformation is a good word so, okay yeah because the golf course was built in 1924 and at the time it was built there was no trees out here by the time you got to it, there was trees everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah, there were a few. <laughs> there were a few. And, a few too many. And yeah. you know what, boys? After taking a tour with Andrew, there's still a few left. There are yeah. a few. So thank God. <laughs> you know, when true. Oakmont did this to their course, they left. They took everything except for one tree. And I was like, oh, man. But they love it. The Oakmont members do. And trees are the enemy of good grass. Right, Andrew? Yeah. I mean, it, there's always a balance, right? Balance, right. There's a balance. But... You know, we tried to protect the best trees on property that we had and work around them. And, uh, yeah. All right. There's a balance. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't <laughs> scraped down to nothing. This wasn't right. just every tree on the property has gone. There's right. plenty of trees out there. They just serve their purpose to, and I know nothing here. We're with a genius over here. But they frame the hole nicely or they give you a reference point or something like that. I didn't see it as, I see it as open, more open than it used to be. But I don't see it as stripped down blasphemy of no tree. Yeah, it's not a link style golf course. Uh, you know what's interesting, and I think during our little tour here, Steve mentioned it, but he is a tree guy. Uh, I, I can get that sense. He's yeah. a tree guy, so he becoming less of a one all the time though as they continue to fall this, down on my property. Yeah. I, I see a tree fall down, Andrew, and I go, well, there's an invoice for $500. <laughs> Why do I need well, that? Well, right. Andrew, you mentioned uh, in relation to the golf course, you mentioned that it was rather startling just how many of these trees on property, thousands of trees that were here, uh, how many of them were sick. They were yeah, sick it, trees. It was really stunning when we went to do an inventory of them. There were so many that had been planted in the last few decades that were not of a great quality. And... Um, you know, they were planted very close together. They'd grown together. There were a number of issues with them, including the fact that there were mounds of dirt that had been placed and then the tree placed on top of that that really needed to be adjusted to get back to a more natural state. So I think the question for maybe the casual golf fan or golfer would be, why would such an iconic, magnificent, world-class golf course need to totally reinvent itself the casual golfer andrew i don't think quite understands it yeah it's, it's a really interesting question and i think it probably revolves around the sense of the golf course had kind of gotten lost 
it had been worked on a number of times. The character of the place was like a lot of other stuff. Okay. And when you think about congressional and you think about its iconic nature, it really deserved to be unique. And to be unique in golf, you have to have interesting topography to play over. So really the vision was, how do we put the natural topography back? The, the dirt that had been moved off to the edges to create more of a stadium golf feel decades ago, how do we put that back and create this you know, one-of-a-kind landscape to put the golf course back on? And that's what you guys saw out there. Today. And I think when you take a look at it, and, and I think what Andrew was trying to say there in a very polite way is the golf course was not the shining star here. It was the history of who, who, who started this golf club, and it's the clubhouse. But the golf course was a bit boring. And I think it had gotten that way by being uh, unimaginative in mowing patterns over the years and things like that, where we just basically had runways. The golf course is championship quality, championship length, and, um, and the topography out here is beautiful. But it just had become um, uh, not as shiny. Tired. Yeah, tired. So this begs the question, Andrew. How do you balance... Uh, in res- with res- with respect to your design philosophy, how do you balance being a guy that looks at a property and does what's best for the overall uh, property and the golf course as it fits? And how do you balance that between being a guy known as, oh, he's going to come out and take all your trees? The tree reaper. Come on now. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, having golfing width is important. It's probably the most underestimated, discounted thing in golf. Explain. It's, okay. To, room right to left to, to maneuver your ball. If you think about golf courses that are heavily tree-lined and narrow, it asks you for one question. Hit the ball straight and, and hit far. it in a very yeah. – yeah. Now, if I give you some width, well, maybe I need to be over here on the right, on the left, and I know you all have had a discussion about this recently. But giving you that width provides a great variety – it allows the higher handicap golfer to enjoy themselves a little bit more and then put a prime on being in the right spot for the better player to attack. And if you get out of position, then use your skill to recover and get back in position. And, you know, when you're just punching out from underneath the trees or hitting down, you know, a 22 yard wide bacon strip. Right. That's what these fairways were. They were, there were a lot of ribbons. There was a a couple dog legs, obviously, but they were ribbons that didn't have a lot of character. Now, what we saw out there from what you have done and your your crew, oh, my goodness. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You moved. How much much dirt did you move? We moved about 200,000 yards of dirt. And that's a lot for a restoration. A a lot for a restoration, yes. That's approaching new golf course dirt moving, right? Yeah, and I think if you... You know, back to kind of where you were originally going, if you think about a top 100 course that had traditionally been that kind of ranking... This is substantial, probably the most substantial project of this kind that may ever occur. Right. So the other thing, too, is that I believe I read in one of the articles that one of the stars of this course has been this magnificent clubhouse. This Spanish, what do they call this style of clubhouse? Spanish Revival or something. Spanish Revival. I mean, it's a massive, imposing, but beautiful and spectacular clubhouse. One of the iconic clubhouses in all of golf. And it's always been the star, but you only got to see it on 17 and 18, or 10 and, seven, 10 and 18, right, depending right on the redesign. It, yeah. Now, it connects to the whole course. With the trees that are taken down, you see it 
from everywhere. It feels like you took a splash of Shinnecock and mixed it with Congressional. And it's a very... I, I think, and also to, to not go so crazy on the trees, it's not just tree removal. It was what Andrew was saying was, was there was mounding around a lot of these greens that would hide the vistas also. It was just kind of they dug out green areas, right, and they just piled it up. And it was kind of the philosophy of each hole was its individual piece, right? And you didn't want to see anything else, didn't want to experience anything else. And when you look at these classic golf courses that were just set on the ground that was there because the heavy earth moving equipment wasn't available at the time, things flow together, move together. Your experience is so much better because you are truly experiencing the property, not just the one hole. And, you know, I think one of the biggest compliments I could give to an architect is if my wife came out here, Ronnie, or your wife came out here, and they're not golfers, right? They've been to golf courses. They would say, this is beautiful. You know, and that's something that we know. We we look at it as a golf course and the flow and everything. We know what we think is beautiful to our eyes. But just to be looking at it, not even as a golf course, just as a piece of property. Oh, yeah. That's what the the lay eye would say. Well, and... What would immediately catch anyone's eye is what catches our eye immediately when we look out over the property, and it's the bunkering. So let's move from the trees to the bunkering. Uh, The bunkering here, as Steve explained earlier when we were talking uh, during our tour, he said that a lot of the bunkers had a circular or a kidney uh, shape. But what you've done... Circles and kidneys and curves and straight edges. And now what you've done is you've gone rugged. Yeah, and it's, again, back to kind of making it feel older, more classic, where um, perfection, perfect lines weren't part of original Golden Age architecture. Things were more flowing. You think about the hand labor that that made those things uh, 100 years ago without the benefit of bulldozers. You know, we're trying to get that vision back. They also fit in the ground more naturally where, in fact, most of the bunkers you'll see out here, we actually had graded dirt across like a landform and then scoop the dirt out of that bunker and put it as if we were doing it a hundred years ago mm, okay. instead of hauling material here or there to do that cool we created the land and made the bunkers out of the land that's fantastic and i asked you this uh earlier andrew d- again during our tour when rebuilding or when building a green or a bunker i i've always wondered how much input on site on hand operating the machinery yourself how much you are able to oversee everything if someone's if one of your guys that is your workers is is suddenly digging somewhere do you hear that bulldozer or do you hear it and say wait stop i want to be there for that i mean yeah there uh, i'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to that yeah well uh, your name's going on yeah that's right 100, 100 years so now, you know the amazing thing is i designed this in cad and the the builder put it into a GPS system and laid it out based on the way I drew it. Wow. And then we massaged it from there. And I love playing in the dirt. I'm a big kid. So whenever I can get on a piece of equipment and shape a green or a bunker, certainly uh, I take advantage of that. Most of the greens here, I was personally on a bulldozer putting the concept on the ground. It's amazing because the misconception for many would be that the architect shows up. Well, pointing fingers. Nicholas does that. No offense to but, the great Jack but, Nicholas. But, yeah, I'm making a dog leg over there and a green over there. I'll be back for the opening riveting ceremony. And he's got a course going at the same time in Cabo. He's got one used maybe to. in Scotland. No, I'm used saying to. No, but I, I, even nowadays, see, that's the thing. They're not building golf courses, Andrew. 
Yeah, new not courses, like they once were. That, I mean, new correct. courses have stopped down to almost a trickle, basically. That's right. Right. The golden age but, of building, or the boom, I should say, was the late '90s, early 2000s, coinciding with Tiger. Yeah, but I'll, I'll go rarely more than one week without seeing anything in the dirt that I'm doing. That you're doing. That, that I'm doing. Well, you're lucky. You're working. Well, because he's, he's talented. No, oh, ridiculous. I don't want to say he's lucky. I should say, yeah. Yeah. you know, he's talented he's, and he's got work. My point is that the amount of golf course work that's going on now is not what it was 20 years true. ago. True. Fair enough? But it's a difference, Steve, I guess. Different in kind my of work? Mind, but it's a difference between having a business and an empire and, <laughs> you know, putting your name on things versus it being a craft, a passion. Right. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm. You're not. You are you not switch. in the empire business? Are you not Walter White? Uh, no. Did you ever watch Breaking Bad? <laughs> We're in the empire yeah, business. That's just not. That's not what I'm uh, shooting for. Well, uh, something I just want to say, Andrew, in talking with Pete Went earlier. The, so Pete Went yeah. is the director of, of golf and grounds, whatever the big title he he's gave me. But he's basically in, this place. He's in charge of every piece of grass on this property. And and what I want to say to those people that are listening, I want to be sure they hear this. Uh, to know what kind of human being we have sitting next to us and that you're listening to is he said that you were an absolute pleasure to work with. Your ego was left uh, checked at the door or at home, and you were uh, just w wonderful to work with. And he said he, doesn't al he hasn't always experienced that in his 40-plus years in the business. So I told Pete when we were driving up here, I said, I don't know if this always happens, but I believe this is two abs I know Pete, right? I believe it's two absolute geniuses at the crafts that they do. I've never seen anything like this, Andrew. This is this is very stunning to me. It's more like I'm just wondering I'm I'm I like playing music and playing a little bit band and your brain I can I kind of say that's what a musician when they come up with a song like how do they do that yeah. where do songs the come where does this come the from where do songs come and then from where I, does a green design i look come at this from? and i'm like where do you start <laughs> where do you start and you ask that question out there ronnie and i know pete is the best of the best and this combination it's really kind of cool that we have it in our area so i want to say thank you um it was a privilege to be out there it's today fun. but thank you for putting this in our, our DMV. Oh, that's awesome. Congressional Blue, the famed course, not yet open, but will be for the members later on this summer, probably late June, something like that. And good luck if you say, oh, I know somebody, I'll ask him to take me out. They're not letting guests out for a while. These members have waited and they've looked out their window and salivated at what is to come. They're going to have their run of it first. And then we're going to get the big boys in in a while. 2031. Yeah. We're going to have the ladies here next year. We're going to talk about how Congressional Blue will stand up to the best golfers in the world, the best men, the best women, and be a championship venue for years to come, including the Ryder Cup, which is right around the corner in 2037. 37. 37. Yeah. Checks watch, calls doctor to get a checkup. Need to be around for that one. Stay tuned. We continue plausibly live from Congressional Country Club talking about the redesign, the reinvention, the transformation, whatever you want to call it. It is spectacular out here, and we are with Andrew Green, the chief architect. Stay with us. We're back with more after this. You are listening to the Capital Golf Gang, four guys who have to come up with creative excuses to their wives for those grass stains on their pants.
You are listening to the Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who once dreamed of becoming caddies on the PGA Tour until they found out you have to take the blame for everything. The new number from the tips here at Congressional, 7,712 yards, 38-22 out, 38-39-30. I don't know my glasses on in. Par 71 with an additional two to 250 yards if they want it. It's going to be a monster. The monster of the Beltway is going to be back once the big boys and the big girls come out here to play. We are here on a beautiful Friday afternoon at Congressional Country Club upstairs in the clubhouse. A little bit of rain coming in. Zabe here with John Ronas of the Ronas Academy. Ron Thomas, longtime Maryland captain of the uh, Maryland Potomac Cup team and recent winner of the VSGA One Day at Mattaponi Springs. Thank you. Jeez, I wasn't ready for that. Yes, I yes. Did. 73. Yep. And uh, prize money? Uh, $63. Sweet. Don't spend it in one place. Good. $80 <laughs> entry, 63 winners. Check. Is that your f- first win in how long, Ron? Uh, win, win. Woo. Individual tournament. No, I won the Middle Atlantic Senior Amateur. That's right. uh, Last year. Last year. Okay, good. But the 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 mid the mid senior division. So I didn't win it over fifty five. But the Virginia State events are great. But um, John Gould cannot be with us today because he is officiating an event. That's what he does as the director of the Middle Atlantic PGA. And he gets down to uh, the wood the the neck of the woods where Andrew Green, our guest today, comes from. Roanoke boy, Virginia Tech grad, studied agronomy, and what else? Landscape architecture. Landscape architecture. You grew up with a dream to be what you are now. I did. That's Junior awesome. in high school, doodling in the margins of my biology notebook. <laughs> Not <Yeah>. paying attention <laughs> to your teachers, right? I might have paid attention a little. That's great. So you started out in the business, of course. You've got your own firm now, A.H. Green. Uh, design, but you started out working for another company. Who'd you start with? Yeah, McDonald and Sons is a golf course renovation builder out of uh, Columbia, Jessup area. Okay, and uh, they actually did the construction here. Oh, so, they did. Uh, yes, yeah, so I had a relationship with them um, before. So, great. what when you start out fresh out of college with dreams of being the next Robert Trent Jones or whatever, Pete Dye, Pete Dye, you name it, uh, Tom Fazio. You're like, hi, I'm here for a job. And they go, here's a shovel. Yes. Start digging. You start at the lowest point of the totem pole, yes. right? And uh, What did you start swall- doing? Uh, staking out golf courses. Okay. Uh, uplands over on the eastern shore. Oh, yeah, I yeah, loved yeah, Uplands. Yeah. I loved it. I, I what, do you mean Letty? Love, what do you mean loved? It's, it's not gone. there anymore. Oh, for God's sake. My man, Kurt Letty, what? was the head pro. Yeah. Gosh, it was a great golf course. He designed it as a place to stop on the way to yeah, the beach. That's right. Right. When that's what we did. Well, yeah, but they didn't understand Guys with families, yeah, <laughs> they're not going to say, sit in the car for four hours. Yeah, I'll be yeah. right back. <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah. Guys so, like, what are you getting, a Coke? No, yeah. I'm just going to play yeah, quick like, you 18. You know the percentage of golfers <laughs> that will actually stop and play? <laughs> yeah. they, they can't. They got their family right. with them, but that's fine. Yeah. So uh, so you start out, you, you just do everything to learn everything, right? Yeah, that's right. But there's nothing more uh, humbling than spending a day pounding steaks, and the minute you pound it, the guy on the bulldozer backs over it, you know? (laughs) Need another grade over here. Well, you're doing it, and you're saying to yourself, I've got a degree from a four-year university. Yeah. What am I doing here? But the goal, of course, is to get to this point, and and being what you are requires a lot of knowledge of a lot of things. you got to know a lot about a lot about, right? Yeah, I started, you know, actually, Steve, I started uh, on a string trimmer. 
at my local club back in Roanoke. I was in golf course maintenance as you know, a kid. That was my first job. Oh, is that Roanoke worst. Country Club? That was actually Botetourt Country okay. Club. Yeah. Well, we were talking hole. string trimming. We were talking. If on I ever the... do another hour of string trimming, I'll hate it. <laughs> you will never find sakes. a uh, post fence on any of my golf courses because yeah, that's how because... that <laughs> exactly. smart. We were. He was saying that uh, he was raking bunkers in. That we were talking about 95, the ninety-five Open yeah. here. And um, he was raking bunkers, and Pete was an, an intern, yeah. I believe. And at then that I walked mode fairways in '97. It's, wow. Yeah, crazy. Wow. The last time the Open was here, Rory McIlroy lapped the field. He was in full command of his game. He hit monstrous, high, arcing four yard draws right down the middle. It got two hops and maybe a trickle. And he just played point to point to point. He was putting, lapped the field. It's beautiful. I love Rory. He's one of my favorite guys. Did not produce inspiring golf, in part because the weather, as you remember, Andrew, did not cooperate. Yeah, it was tough. And that's what June is around here. Tough. Yep. We're getting out of the spring, and we're getting into the blast furnace. And there's rain, and there's humidity, and then there's hot, and it all combines. They had spent, what, a couple million dollars here at Congressional and a year being out of business to put sub-airs in all the greens? To put in all new greens For the express yeah. purpose. Yes of making them fast and firm for the Open. Yeah, Mother Nature's undefeated. Undefeated. Mm. Mother Nature looked at all that money and all that effort and said, yeah, seven and six. <laughs> Good night now. <laughs> yeah. Which is too bad. Now, I thought, well, that's this is terrible. We'll never get another major around here again. Not, at least not the Open, because that sits in June. Do you think with what you're doing here, we're going to be able to see that in the distant future. I know we've got some yeah. events coming. Ryder Cup's going to be in the fall. PGA Championship in 2031 will be in May. So that's on the early side. We're going to be good there. Weather is going to be nice. Yeah, we have the ladies next June, I believe, is the okay. date for the KPMG. So that'll, that'll be so, an interesting test to yeah. see how it is in June. So let's talk about what you saw today and how it relates to that. Well, number one is it's probably the toughest region to grow fine turf. Mm -hmm. the, the transition zone, as it's called, pretty much from, I don't know, Raleigh to, to Philly-ish. You know, it's a really hard place to grow grass because high humidity, high temperatures, but also the winters. So the grasses that are best suited for this region, they don't really like the extremes of both. So that, that was certainly something we thought about. The next thing is, how do you make a golf course firmer? Well, you improve its drainage. So fairways that were somewhat flat, you know, simple, versus fairways that have some tilt to them, hmm. those fairways that tilt drain better. So uh, a lot of the earthwork we did, not only was it to inspire better golf, it was also to provide drainage and recovery from rain events, which, you know, goes hand in hand with what you're talking about. Right. So that's step one. The other part is just, you know, making a course that can handle the big infrastructure of big events because the modern golf world depends on tents, corporate hospitality, merchandise, et cetera. Absolutely. More, more trees you have, the less room you have for all that stuff. I believe they had to cannibalize one of the holes on the gold course the last time the Open was here. Yes. Yeah. Put a huge merchandise gold. tent there. Yeah. I'm like, this used to be a beautiful golf hole. What have you done? They're like, oh, I'm sure they'll do the same like, thing. They're like, ah, you know what? We'll, we'll, we'll fix it later. And yeah. With regard to infrastructure, I mean, we're even talking about cart paths. Yeah, I noticed I you've got a really nice cart path built out there, and I love the natural old road look instead of the, you know, the new shiny cart paths, but they're wide because we're going to have a lot yeah, of foot was, traffic. Yeah, the back nine cart paths are actually wider than the front nine to allow for additional infrastructure and people mm. for, for major championships. Yeah. So let's talk about 
these big events that are coming. It seems like the club has made a decision. We're not going to be a regular tour stop. We want to be a major venue, right? Yeah, I think, you know, hosting championships is part of their legacy, not only in the past, but for the future. Three U.S. Opens, one PGA. But there's also the inner workings to let you in just a little bit on this. Um, you know, Andrew knows this stuff. You pretty much make your bed with the PGA or the USGA. Um, when you agree to, I was involved with the writing of the proposal for the Ryder Cup here in 1998 when I was here. And there was a, a, a situation, let's just say years before, where Congressional was in the running or maybe even agreed to accept the PGA Championship in 95. And um, they then went with the USGA option of the US Open, which got them the US Senior Open and then the US Open. To get the Ryder Cup, that usually entails a PGA Championship because they're affiliated. So it's very rare that you get a PGA Championship and a US Open in any close time frame because you're usually in with one or the other. Do, and the US. Do the organizations not play nice together, the PGA and the USGA? You know, I'm, I'm sure it's different now, but back in the day, it was you were in bed with one or the other. And usually for old school, was US Open, US Amateur. U.S. Amateur, U.S. Open. And that was the timeline that you would go. You prove yourself in the U.S. Amateur. Marion did it. U.S. Amateur and then U.S. Open. And then PGA Championship and Ryder Cup. Um, that was pretty much... And then Senior Tour came on, so it mixed things up a little bit. But just so you know, why can't we have a U.S. Open and a PGA Championship within five years? I, I have heard happen. that the organizations are pretty proprietary, where it's like... Don't go there, that's a U.S. Open course. Don't go there, that's a PGA course. That they feel like they want their own set of their own rotation. They don't like when they jump between. Now, some have. Well, it's simple to see. I mean, we've got Kohler. We've got uh, right. Chambers. I'm not sure it was Chambers Bay. Was that yes, PGA? that was U.S. Open. Yeah. And that was U.S. Open. Yeah, and we've got um, now Congressional. And then on the flip side, you've got Pinehurst. You've got uh, your, your mainstay U.S. But, Open courses, but something I want to—I I don't want to forget to mention this. Uh, Andrew redid Inverness, and Inverness is hosting the Solheim Cup, they are which is a them. huge event. Well, I, I'm—I love the LPGA. I love the Solheim Cup. Yeah, I yeah. love the Solheim Cup, and that's there next year. It's so th this Labor Day. Oh, I'm no, sorry. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This In September. Yeah. 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 So um, you've been through this. You know about this. Yeah. And, you know, I'll let you behind the curtain a little bit. Please. There's really interesting discussions. And it, it is way more involved than you might think. And it, it takes into account so many more things than the golf course proper. Uh, it's not only the golf course. It's the immediate infrastructure. It's mm. the parking. It's the busing. You know, how can you get people hotels. in and out? Hotels. Yep. Uh, entertainment. What other things are tied together? Uh, there's charity things that are tied together, uh, advertising, corporate sponsors. Yep. You know, it, it's a lot. Yeah, I wrote, I literally wrote it mm. for the PGA for a Ryder Cup proposal. It's at my house. Still kept it. No wonder why they didn't get it. Yeah, all oh, right. And um, yes, you have to put Sorry, in every. I was every, just laying there. I had to take it. Come uh, on. Now. Commerce information and all the other stuff in the area, and put it all together, and then you submit it, and that's probably why we didn't get it. Yeah, and and depending on which event it is, you know, some events like a Senior Open, a, a Women's Open. They kind of like the little smaller markets where it's a big event. Yeah, you know, in that area. Right, right. They get better. But the, the reason I even knew about that inside information is because Carrie Haig kind of 
was like, uh, we'd love to have it here. I know what Steve wants to get at, and what we were gonna, what we kind of opened the segment with is, is this golf course gonna hold up? with the greatest players in the world. And you have to so, take yeah. that into consideration. <laughs> yeah, have you- and the dichotomy between the member being able to play. Yeah. So what you'll see is I actually, I, I talked about this when we were out on the course, but I tried to move some of the high points for landing zones out to the modern landing zone where, you know, if you hit it 310 yards, you might have hit it onto the downslope on nine and countless other holes out here. In the past. In the past. But now that's 350, 360. Jeez. And it's a combination so of... So you move the humps. Yes. Ha, ha, ha. And, you know, how many opportunities does a classic club have that ability, right? Yeah. It's, it's rare. Uh, at Oak Hill, we've maxed out the distance. There's really not a whole lot more distance to find. Uh, crazy at Inverness, we still have a little distance that we can find, and we still have some distance here. Of your redesigns, which one have you had one yet that the pros have had a crack at? Not the full, full deal. Uh, we had the junior at Inverness, which the junior amateur – those kids are hitting it a mile. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Big time goal. I can't – I mean, you must – it's going to be interesting for you when the big boys finally have at it because, A, you want it to stand up to be a test that's worthy, but also you're going to get a few guys that, you know, say, ah, I don't like yep, this hole, sure. I don't like that, but that's part of the gig. Part right? of the – it comes with the territory. Right, yeah. but that's a territory you haven't been to yet. Well, yeah, but I've worked on some uh, regular tour stops, some Champions Tour events, and – there is a difference between major championship and a regular event. Right. And the dynamics of how the course setup is really depends from event to event. Sure. What it is. Does it stress you out wondering what is coming? I mean, like, an, you know, an actor, some of them won't watch the, read the uh, reviews. They don't yeah, want to hear it. You know, I mean, it's, it's going to happen, right? Everybody's going to play the same golf course. I think it's the dynamics that I'm excited about here at Congressional. Or I think the golf course can be set up as hard as you want it. But then I think there's reality, right? I don't think yeah. they're going to go put the 18 hardest hole locations out there right? on, on any one day. Would well, you have input on that? So we've had some discussions with Kerry Haig and some of the members of the PGA of America about the opportunities. Um, Kerry has been wonderful. We walked the course a while ago, and, and he just thought there was tremendous potential between tee placements and hole locations and – uh, all the different ways that he could utilize the golf course to set up not only for the best uh, men, but the best ladies, the seniors, the club professionals, the juniors, all the other events that we're going to host. Oh, too. we've got the club pro championship. Yep. That's right. Two 500-yard par fours, a 630-yard par five, a 240-yard par three. There's only one par four under 400 yards. And like I said, a full weight of 77-12 from the tippity tips with another 200 yards that could be accessed if they wanted to to get it almost to 8,000. By 2031, either they're going to have rolled the ball back and you won't need all that yardage, or they'll have blown past that as well. But and it probably pays, probably plays 5,300 to 56 or 5,800 from the ladies' tees. That's uh, down to about 5,000. Yeah. 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 So, so, so that's the, the way that the golf course can be hard for the yeah. best and manageable and enjoyable for the everyday. It's all about playing the appropriate tees, everybody out there. Just enjoy yourself what? and play the appropriate tees. 7,700 doesn't scare me. Let's go. <laughs> scares it. I'm just going to play my yeah. game, man. My Fairways goodness. and fairway and rough and punch <laughs> out and green. Two putt. 
Yeah. Seven. Seven. You're there. Yeah. Net six, as we like to say. 77 is a number I'm not interested in. All right. When we come back, final segment here, plausibly live at Congressional Country Club with Andrew Green, the chief architect in the redesign of this magnificent club. We will talk about some of the most iconic and historic moments at Congressional and some personal tales because we all have some wonderful personal moments at this very special place. Stay with us. Capital Golf Gang returns right after this. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who all carry a perfect club, an alien wedge, a double-sided chipper, and a 20-foot ball retriever. You are listening to The Capital Golf Gang. Four guys who only care about one trajectory on their irons, Airborne. Zabe here along with John Ronas of the Ronas Academy at River Creek. Book a lesson today. He does great work. He'll get you fixed up. Good players, bad players, players in between. <laughs> as long as you have money, he'll teach you. Oh, Just kidding. Golly. Uh, you, you teach a lot of good people. You get does a great job and you don't have to be a member out there either ron thomas is with us as well as usual uh john ghoul is out today he is officiating in the middle atlantic section and we'll have him back hopefully next week our pleasure to welcome on andrew green who is the chief architect golf course architect virginia tech hokey out here at congressional for the redesign that is opening later on this summer and like i said even if you know a member you're not going to get to see it you'll see the gold course they're allowing guests on that but uh it's a beautiful course i like the gold you like the gold andrew as an yeah, architect absolutely yeah. yeah it's different but this golf course is what are you laughing at it's just it's you know it's like a date you know do you what do you think how'd it go it's different it's interesting it's good, good. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> bit. good personality good, the, uh, good for you yeah <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> will they redo yeah. the gold eventually? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Okay. But the, right. but the other nine on the other side of the road is just so different from anything else. That's exactly. Yes, it is. It, it, you're right. Inherently. It's just an interesting route. My top three moments at this particular place, without a doubt, three to one. Number three, seeing Jack Nicholas in the wild for the first time in my life as a 12-year-old kid. He had played in the Kemper Open in 82. He was still quite viable, finished T3 that year, I believe. And we caught him, my dad and I, on number nine coming up the fairway. We had made a beeline, like, where is he? The golden bear in the wild. I've never special. seen him. Yeah. I haven't. And I do want, I don't He's care how old he is. My favorite I, all time. Never seen him in person. I'd like to. I also saw George Archer with his big, dumb Amana hats on. Oh, yeah. And that was interesting. I'm like, look at this guy. He's big and gangly. And how is he out here playing with Jack Nicholas? But that was golf back in the uh, late yes, eight, early was. 80s. Second best moment was holding out a bunker shot during the Pro Am, partnered with Ricky Barnes in ahead of the Quicken Loans Invitational. Great radio hookup junket. I was on number four, and it was over this ridge. It was probably like a 50-foot bunker shot. Somehow I hit it perfectly. Up to the ridge, released, and down. And because it's a pro-am, and there was a certain number of fans there, I actually got a little bit of a roar. Let me tell you. 
I, I was gone. I remember I, that. I know. I was gone. That, you see, you wave me off the first tee, Ron. I see you there, and I go, oh, darn it, Ron yeah. sees me. I'm like, <laughs> I don't need to be any more nervous than I, I went am. Out, I went out just to watch him hit <laughs> his know. first tee. Well, this was the time when Zabe was playing. Not only did he play with Barnes, but he was on this Johnny Walker thing deal. Uh, oh, I got to. Got, but he got to play nice. with Furyk. Furyk, yeah. Friends oh, with Furyk. Right. Beat, beat Furyk, too. But let's not get into <laughs> with that. With shots. He I mean, gave me shots. What was supposed to play him straight up? Yeah. Well, then you could say you beat him. You're not really allowed to say you yeah. beat him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> beat the heck, him. I'm not allowed to say that. I am saying it, and I will say it. Anyway, yeah. uh, and the number one thing is I met my future wife, right? Oh, wow. Down really? wow. there for the first time, yes, at the wedding of one Kristen Bonacci. Did you mean your current? You met your current wife. What did I say? Yeah. You said she, my, I you, met my future, future wife. wife. No, my future ex-wife is Paula Creamer. <laughs> My current wife is Dina, and she was the one I met down here. But when I met her, Ron, she was going to be my future wife. I understand. I just got that now? Okay. So I think the most iconic moment that happened here, and I'm going to play this clip, and you can watch it, is Ken Venturi winning the U.S. Open in 1964 in absolutely sweltering summer heat when the USGA, for, I guess, religious reasons, they didn't play on Sundays. It was a family day back in the 60s. So they played 36 on Saturday, and here's the story that Ken Venturi tells. There'll be a lot of birdies made and a lot of bogeys. In 1964, Congressional hosted its first major event, the United States Open. Ken Venturi had won 10 titles before the age of 29, but he'd gone on a four-year winless drought. Practically broke, he entered the 64 Open playing on borrowed money and borrowed time. In the 36-hole final, Venturi blistered Congressional's front nine with a six-under par 30. And Venturi makes the birdie four. He goes into the lead, one stroke ahead of Jacobs. I'm six under par going to 17, and I got about a 12-footer. And knock it by only a foot, maybe a foot and a half. And I started shaking so bad, and. I couldn't draw, I mean, I couldn't make it. I didn't know what was wrong. I stopped sweating and everything and dizzy. I, I missed the putt and I missed a three footer at 18 to finish bogey bogey for 66. Venturi was suffering from heat exhaustion. Dr. Everett laid me down and he tells the story. I don't know and I don't recall. He said, I recommend Ken, you don't go out. It could be fatal, you could die. And he said, my words to him was, it's better than the way I've been living, Doc. Mm. Dazed and confused, Venturi ignored the doctor's warning and played flawlessly to win one of the most dramatic opens in championship history. When I got through and I made the putt, I threw my hands up in the air. I played with Ray Floyd. And I said, my God, it won the open. I couldn't pick the ball out of the hole. And Ray Floyd picked it out gave me the ball and I looked down and I looked up into his eyes and a 21 year old boy was crying his eyes out. I lost it myself. Man, that is something else awesome. right there. Is that not the greatest story it about is. this place? You know what I think about when I watch that is I think about the man sitting to my left and how I, I love being around accomplished, talented really cool people and i think we're in the presence of one right now did you mean I, to your right now to <laughs> my yeah. left oh, andrew left? but i, I oh, just sorry. think it's really neat that you do what you do and that 
I mean, you're a part of this going forward, the future. And for you to do what you do and do it so well deserves accolades and, and acknowledgement for being exceptional at what you do. I appreciate I mean, that. Yeah. It's well, it's a, a gift to us. It is. It's, a, it's like art, you know, where people love art and they go to walk into a building and no one's talking and you're looking at a wall and to me that picture on the wall is is okay yes, i like it and the, but this golf course is a piece of living art yes and it's a piece of history i mean we've got five of the founding members of this golf club were former presidents of the united states of america and I, I'm a little emotional because I just, I, I'm, I'm not jealous at all. A lot of really talented people I'm somewhat jealous of, but I'm actually in awe of you. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy for me because a kid growing up with not a whole lot, a great family, but not a whole lot outside of Roanoke. Um, you know, what great golf course architect comes out of Roanoke, Virginia? <laughs> <you know? laughs> they well, come from somewhere. That's right. Well, and, but think about know, the topography down there. Yeah, it's not a true. more beautiful place. But I just love the game. And, um, and I, I knew that I, I love technology. I love being outside. I saw a way to weave all this stuff together. I love creating things. Um, but I have to tell you that I interviewed in this room. Wow. And I was uh, mighty nervous standing right over there, uh, you know, coming to a place that it was the championship home of my youth. Mm. This right. was the venue. Right you know, growing up in Virginia. <clears throat> and to be here in 97, one of my moments was, uh, I don't know if you recall, but Tiger had won at Augusta yeah. and came oh, here. Right. And oh. the crowds were just insane. Under Off. heavy security. Crazy. Off yeah. the charts. So I was walk mowing what is currently the 14th hole, which was the 13th hole. He went off on the back nine with fluff and didn't tell anybody. On a practice round. On a practice round. And that caused a bit of a stink. But he had hit his tee shot right to my feet. And the USG official came up to have a discussion with him. I had turned my mower off and gotten off to the side. But that was, yeah, that was quite a moment for you me. You didn't yell at Tiger Woods? <laughs> yeah. Hey, buddy, I'm working yeah, here. Exactly. Yeah. No. But, so, but Steve shared his personal, his yes, three personal. You, I know your best moment here, Ron. Yeah. Uh, well, mine is winning the uh, Middle Atlantic father-son with my son when he was 11 years old. That's awesome. And, uh, right here at Congressional, man. The next closest, I think, son was probably maybe 20. So we, we won it, and we shot, yeah, we shot even par on the blue. Wow. And he cut me on two holes. He made par <laughs> on six. Nice. I hit it in the water, and uh, he, cut me, he cut me on 17. And I know you as a father, you impart to Winston the history of places like this and the significance of this. I know he appreciates Completely. it. Completely. That's more important to me than the golf course. Right, exactly. Your, your son is not someone who's going to be like – I want to get a cheeseburger after this. And, you know, well, this, that, that, you know, he, he follows your lead. Well, the first thing he wants to do when, when we do come here is he wants to go in and look at the clubhouse. But, um, you know. Well, yeah, you can walk the halls of the clubhouse oh, here and check out the photos. I do that a lot of times at golf clubs anyway and sometimes get yelled at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. a lurker. Hey, uh, Ronis, former uh, your favorite moment assistant here, professional Ronis. here. What yes. is yours? Yeah, I mean, I interviewed in this room also. And um, 
You got chewed out in this room, you said. Well, then after I got hired, I got chewed out in this room. Come on, tell that story. No, I'm not going to. Please? No, no. It was about the caddy program, and they wanted some changes. And the the caddies were not going to have any changes. So we. years, 37 years. So you had an agreement where the caddies are like, all right, we need to pretend we're we're just going to make some things up. And then that didn't go well at all. And then when the members found out there was no caddy changes, one of them called you up to the president's room. No, no, no. It was during a board meeting. I had to report on our findings, and I found. Found nothing, and so they uh, question why I went down there in the first place. Yeah, why so, why did we send you down there anyway? Yeah, but this was my. I was in Massachusetts. I was a head pro in Massachusetts, and we decided to move to Virginia. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna. I'll just get a head pro job somewhere. It's a good old boy system, or I'll take an assistant job at a big time club. And this is what I got. Well, John, you're a perfect fit for this place. One of the things I love about going on into these iconic clubs is just how quality of human beings you find behind the counter. It is Mr. This, Mr. That, of course, yeah. or Mrs. That, Mr. But that's obvious. But just the way they carry themselves. Yeah, uh, but, but just say really quickly, Ronnie, it all starts with that grass out there Yeah. and this clubhouse. So, again, the the guys like Pete Went and Andrew, this is that's all of us are those people because this is our workplace. Right. I just wonder, while you were here, if you got to know any of these members, uh, former members, Andrew Carnegie, Charlie Chaplin, Walter Chrysler, Calvin yes. Coolidge, Dwight Eisenhower, Harvey Firestone, Gerald yeah. Ford, John Glenn, Warren Harding, William Randolph Hearst, so Herbert wait a second. Hoover, I'm almost done, Vince Lombardi, yeah. uh, J.C. Penney, John D. Rockefeller, so how did William you know? Howard Taft, also Billy, how did Billy you know? Fix, who invented the... Uh, Billy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That was a party we had out on the balcony all when I was people, hired. It's amazing. Yeah, all they those all people were threw there. a party so, for me. Crazy story. The guy that invented the Coke bottle, the iconic hourglass, yeah. he was a member here. Oh, no my way. goodness. I found one. <gasps> no under, way under that, the ninth green that's a great question what yeah. do you find on oh, when you no. do these things that's yeah did you find did you find anything it interesting was com- it was completely, moving all this earth? It was completely any, any bullets and and bombs shells or anything <laughs> tell what this used to be well because so, it know. used to be a ballistics area and a training area during world war ii i got sure. world war one wrong but so did you find anything like that? No, I don't think we came across, you know, obviously the golf course had been worked yeah, on a couple times. Yeah, yeah. But the Coke bottle was really cool. I found a, a ancient um, milk bottle, glass wow. milk bottle. Wow. Glass one. At the, the first green. Did you find Jimmy Hoffa? No, I'm looking <laughs> for him. I got a job okay. in Miami. It might be there. He's, really? on the, he's on the goal course. All right, Ron, yeah. before we get uh, our last quick shot with Andrew here uh, to close it out today, you mentioned Eisenhower Golf Course out on your side of the – market is. Yes, to me, an iconic golf course. Uh, Eisenhower Golf Course in Anne Arundel County, Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, always a very popular golf course. I thought always a very good golf course. One of those under the radar conditions were suspect. It was run by the county, but they decided uh, maybe two, two and a half years ago that they were going to do a renovation. And the man, again, to my left, Andrew Green, was hired to do the renovation. And Andrew, if you could, we've got a lot of listeners uh, over in Anne Arundel County. Just talk quickly about Eisenhower and what you did there. No yeah. bunkers, by yeah, the way. Yeah, no bunkers. You know, for an iconic place in a different way than here, you know, here with the major championships, the history, the members you're talking about, there it's a place that was totally beloved. And how many people grew up learning the game oh, there? I loved it. So it was a ton of stress for me to make sure that I didn't mess that up. You know, it's interesting. That's the first time he said stress. 
He's talking about yeah. Eisenhower. <laughs> but so well, yeah, no, I mean it was it was a different thing where it was a popular place. I didn't want to change that. And eliminating bunkers is such a mind blowing concept for most players. You know, with a golf course without bunkers, it can't be any good. Well, the property is really. You got rid really of all the bunkers. All the bunkers, zero wow. bunkers. Good yeah. for pace of play. Yeah, wow. I see you're kind of processing wow. that over there. And it's great. and the reviews have been spectacular. Just open. How many on the bunkers 29th. did it have? In the 40s somewhere. Okay. But it was the cost of the bunkers to build, maintain, replace. Yeah, okay. bunker, bunkers are money pits on yep. golf courses for yeah. those that don't know. Pay supply. Yeah, they're yeah. like swimming pools. They're just. They're a good they, idea. They look beautiful. In, right. In brochures like swimming yeah. pools. Right. They look gorgeous. Right. Right. Pain in the butt. Yes. Don't yes. want those. All right. Exit question. Just quick 10-second reply on each. What keeps you awake at night as an architect the most? Crazy bunker lines sometimes. They used to drive me nuts. Like, you know, making sure they all flow and fit the way oh, yeah. that I saw. Yeah. Because okay. when you paint on the ground, you stand back. It's not the same as being right up there. Amazing. Got a quick one for him on our way out the door? Uh, I do. Uh, will you play this golf course right after it opens? I'll play it, yeah, in the opening event. I played it right after the 97 Open and put my clubs away for about eight, nine weeks. Oh, all my right. goodness. Ronis, last <laughs> I just shot. say thank you for your time today. It was just, Thanks. it was really cool. No, it was I awesome. Mean, thank you all for coming very, out. very cool. It was, it was fun. Oh, they did find something, Ron. They found your Tour Edition 6. Oh, that's over. right. <laughs> yeah, it had your name right. on it. It had a shark on the side of it. Exactly. Yeah. All right, boys. Great show today. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much. It's wonderful it's, to see no, thank you how so the dirt gets you. moved and the grass gets grown. And, yes, I will be lobbying my congressional friends, all two of them, if they still talk to me, to get me on this place in 2023 or whenever they'll let me. Thanks for listening. Uh, have a great weekend. It is May. It is glorious. Golf is upon us. Enjoy, people. And we'll see you next time on the Capital Golf Game, presented by Golfdom. This has been the Capital Golf Game on the Team 980. If you'd like the gang to visit your home course, send your inquiries to zabe at yahoo.com. That's C-Z-A-B-E at yahoo.com. Or visit the show page at www.theteam980.com. And for free swag, we're all an extra large. So yeah, thanks for the shirts.